to introduce you to a brand new series on clarity over chaos. It's a description and a discussion about how God takes chaos and transforms it, does something with that, and that that's at the very heart of God and how he wants to do that in our own lives. I don't know where the holidays hectic for you. I think a lot of people would probably say, yeah, pretty chaotic. It happens every year. Every year we think, oh, I don't want it to be that busy the next time. I want to s- slow it down and spend more time with people and less time hurrying around doing things. But every year we get caught up in it all. I saw, I don't know if, it was your, if it's your tradition, I know there are people who it's their tradition that every year they buy a new Christmas ornament to reflect the year that they've just had. I know a lot of couples do this. They want to have an ornament for every year of their marriage. And so some years it might be a pacifier if you have a baby or, or another year it might be something else. I, I saw that online you could buy different ornaments that were attached to different years. And so like in 2020, the year of the pandemic, and the shortage of toilet paper, a lot of the ornaments were toilet paper-like rolls. And uh, the next year, 2021, where everything went on and on, there were a lot of little dumpsters with flames coming out of them, a dumpster fire year. I don't know what you would have called the year you just had. I wonder what, what uh, kind of an ornament you would pick to describe the year you've had. I hope it'd be a good thing and not a bad thing, but a lot of people probably would say, wow, this last year was hard. It was chaotic. In this series about how God brings clarity to our chaos, I want us to look, especially here at the beginning, at Genesis. And I want you to gather something, that God from the very beginning of time has been about bringing clarity into chaotic circumstances, and bringing clarity and bringing peace, if you will, into lives that are filled with confusion and and chaos. It's at the very DNA, the very heart of who God is to do that. You might take a look, if you have your Bibles, to some passages. We're going to really focus on the first four chapters of Genesis, and we're just going to look at some snippets of those. But before I do that, I want you to understand something about how God views chaos. In Isaiah chapter 34, 11, it says, God will stretch over Edom the measuring line of chaos. It's an interesting idea that says God can, he, he knows how much chaos there is. He has the ability to control it, to, to manipulate it, or to give it. If it's for his purposes, he can make things more chaotic. And he does that a few times, like at the Tower of Babel, when he confuses speech. Well, God also, though, knows how to take chaos and move it the other direction and bring order into chaos. In fact, that's in big, a big part what the creation story is all about. If you have your Bibles, you might join me in Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. I know that as some of you began your Bible readings this week, hopefully you made that, that New Year's resolution to read through your Bible. So a lot of you have been in Genesis all week. So this will be familiar to some of you today. In Genesis chapter 1, it says this in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I just want to start by saying of those first four words, in the beginning, God. Listen, it's a mistake to start anything in life without God in it. If you try to start the new year without God and faith being at the center, it's going to be a mistake. We need to impress upon uh, each other the importance of always beginning with God. Now, there's a, a John Spack tells a story about a mother and father who wanted to make this point with their son who was heading off to college. He was headed to Duke University, and so as their son set off for college, Mom and dad had a long talk with him about how important it was to always turn to God first when you're making decisions. 
They gave him a brand new Bible. They said, hey, this is, a, this is God's word. It will, it will shape your life. Whenever you're in need or whenever you need direction or help, turn to God's word. And they handed him this nice new Bible. Well, the first thing that kind of came up about five weeks after he was in school, he called mom and dad because he needed money. And when he needed money, he called him. He said, hey, I need some money. And his mom said, read John 3.16. He's like, well, yeah, I already did that, mom. I already read the Bible. And she didn't say anything else. But no check came in the mail. No money was forwarded to his Venmo account. He had no new funds. And so a week later, he's like, what in the world, mom? I need some money. And she's like, yeah, read Romans 3.23. He's like, I already did that, mom. I already read the Bible. His mom said, son, you're lying to me. Because if you turned to John 3.16, you would have seen I put a $20 bill between the pages. And in Romans 3.23, you would have seen I put another $20 bill. And you would have had what you needed if you had started with the word. You would have what you need. It is a mistake to start anything without first going to God. If you try to build a relationship without God in it, it's going to end in failure. You try to start a new venture and you don't include God in it, don't be surprised when it blows up. But if you begin with God, you're on the right footing, the right foundation to build on. So I always tell people in their marriages, start with a foundation of faith. Just think about this as you start a marriage, right? If you start a marriage without God in it, you're missing one huge component that is necessary for successful marriage, forgiveness. The foundation of faith is a foundation based on grace and forgiveness, And the key to a successful marriage is in large part the ability to forgive each other when you mess up, because you're going to mess up. Begin with God. Begin with faith. Well, the origin story continues with this picture of God bringing order to chaos. Verse 2, listen to the chaotic state the world's in. Now the earth was formless. It was empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I want you to gather two things there. While the world starts in chaos, God's not far away. And even when you and your life experience overwhelming chaos and confusion, God is not far away. That's why the Bible has these reassuring verses like, if you seek me, you'll find me, or call on me while I may be found. He's not far away. Even if it feels like it, he's not as far away as you think. For whatever reason, God sends to hover near the chaos. And he hovered near the chaos of this formless void that was existing. But God changes the chaos. Listen now, it says in verse 3, God said, let there be light. And immediately there was light, there was clarity. God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning the first day. Then God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault. He separated the water under the vault from the water above it. It was so, and God called the vault the sky. There was evening, there was morning the second day. God was bringing order to the chaos Now, check this out. A world without God will always be a world filled with chaos. A world without God or a life without God 
will be a world or a life without, that, that has chaos. The good news for us is there is a God, a God in the world, and he longs to bring clarity into our circumstance. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says, God's not a God of disorder, but of peace. He, he longs to bring that in. The King James Version that says he's not the author of confusion. He's not about confusion. He's about bringing clarity. And God brings clarity into the chaos. I like how Genesis 1 ends. Genesis 1.31 ends this way. After God's made the whole world, he's made all the creatures, all the things. God looks over everything he's made. And it was very good. After going and working for six days, the chaos has become something fantastic. Now you need to think about this for a minute. Why did God take six days? God could have instantly said, this is how it's going to be and it would be done. But he demonstrated something to us and how he addressed the issue of creation. He did it over time. One of the frustrations that people have when they have, cleared, when they have chaos in their life or, or a difficult circumstance, we want God to fix it today, instantly. Make my problems go away. But I want you to get that even in dealing with the chaos of the universe, God took six days. He worked consistently through time to accomplish a goal. And God is doing that in your life and in mine. He's working over time. It's not that he instantly solves all my problems or yours. And that's frustrating sometimes. But our hope is that he who started a good work in us will bring it to completion. And that in the end, just like God rested on the seventh day and said, this is really good. That as we come to the end, we can look over what God did and say, wow, this is really good. What God has done is good. And we can enter our rest in peace. God is good at bringing clarity and order into the chaos. There are other forces in our world. And Genesis uh, immediately then takes us in a new direction in chapter 3. Demonstrating our adversary or our foe is in the story too. And what does Satan want to do? He wants to reintroduce chaos into a world that is filled with order and clarity. He wants to bring confusion into the circumstance. He wants to bring doubt. He, he wants to bring chaos back. He wants to attack the clarity. He wants to encourage not order, but disobedience and disorder. And that's what he sets out to do. Listen how he does it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So he said to the woman, here he's trying to create doubt, right? Up until this moment, there's been no doubt. They know who God is. They know what God wants. God's clearly told them, eat from this tree, don't eat from that tree. He's given them clarity. So what is the first thing Satan wants them to do? He wants them to doubt God. He wants them to doubt the clarity. He wants to suggest, well, God has a way he wants you to do things, but there might be a better way than his way. And that's what he's trying to do. And so he says to them, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, because she has clarity, we can eat from any of the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. 
You must not touch it or you'll die. Now, he moves from creating doubt to outright deception. And what he says next to Eve is, that's ridiculous. Preposterous. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. He absolutely challenges the truth that God has given. God said, if you do it, you'll die. And immediately the serpent just says straight on, eh, you can't trust God. That's not going to happen. That's not going to really happen that way. And man, that voice of the devil continues to this very moment on the earth. People who want to doubt what God has said is true. And that lie of challenging the truth, that is Satan tactic 101. And then he goes and he offers not just a complete uh, disregard for what God has said, but then he offers a new false narrative. He gets Eve to believe a lie instead of the truth. Listen to the narrative that he, he tells her, the story that Satan tells her. He says, listen, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. God had said, whatever you do, don't do this thing. And in the short course of a conversation, Satan has Eve thinking, wow. If I do this thing I'm not supposed to do, I'll be like God. I'll be a God. She believes a false narrative. Unfortunately, and don't miss this, abandoning God's plan always leads to chaos in our life. Abandoning God's plan always leads to chaos, to pain, to anxiety, and to brokenness. Amen. Listen to what happens. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Wow. Instead of this being something that had been great like promised, it immediately led to guilt and shame and fear. But the Lord God called out, where are you? Listen, if you've made some big mistakes in your life, God calls the same thing out to you today. Where are you? Are you where you're supposed to be? Where I want you to be? Or are you somewhere else? The best thing that Adam does is he doesn't keep hiding from God. But he turns to God and he answers him. He said, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, well, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this thing you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent, he deceived me and I ate 
It all seems so innocent, so simple. It probably took minutes to move from paradise to the pain of fallenness. So many things in life seem that way. They seem they're going to be great, but they turn out very different. I don't know if you followed Gary Richmond. He wrote a powerful book called View from the Zoo. It's very popular. They made a movie from it. And uh, he's quite the zoologist, knows a lot about animals. And he was a former zookeeper, and he wrote a story in his book, A View from the Zoo, about a woman who had found a baby raccoon. And I don't know if you've seen baby raccoons. They're cute. They're almost like little kittens. And in fact, they're very docile. They're, they, they might bite you or nip you, but they're, they're the pretty docile animal. And a lot of people get a baby raccoon and they raise it. That's happened many times. But Richmond said, there's a problem with doing that because he said around 24 months to 36 months, there's a glandular change that happens in raccoons. And while they've been docile before that change, once that happens, they become very aggressive. Uh, they'll attack you, they'll bite you, and given that, that a raccoon that, that weighs about 30 pounds has about the same amount of, of uh, uh, force in a fight of a 100-pound dog, uh, it's a pretty formidable little creature. And so when Gary Richmond heard his friend say, I found this beautiful little raccoon, I've been raising it, he immediately warned her. He told her about what happens to raccoons. He said, listen, this is dangerous. You have in your house something that can hurt you. Uh, you need to release that thing into the wild. Don't keep that in your house anymore. And this was her response to him. Oh, it'll be different for me. <laughs> Bandit would never hurt me. Richmond said three months later, she was in the hospital getting plastic surgery because she'd been attacked by this raccoon she thought would never hurt her. Well, Satan is so good at making things look so nice and neat and innocent, and they would never harm us. But Adam and Eve learned the hard way the perils of listening to his lies. It brought pain into their life, chaos into their life. And man, it, it brought so many things that were harsh. The Lord said to the serpent, Verse 14, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly. You'll eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. But he offers this word of hope, even as he informs Adam and Eve and creation that things are about to change. He offers hope, and this is the hope he offers he will crush your head, and you will strike his head, heel. The first prophecy about a coming Messiah. Then to the woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. As I said, disobedience makes life harder, more painful. With painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband. He'll rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Curses the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Things that were once easy suddenly become much harder. And I don't want to miss this, that sin is like a weight. And when we, when we engage in a sinful activity, it's like a weight is pressed upon us. 
And the more that we sin, the greater the weight becomes until it's almost unbearable and too difficult to carry it. And boy, Adam's going to feel some of the weight, the consequence of a sin. The earth produces thorns and thistles. He says, you'll eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. I warned you, if you eat from the tree, you will surely die. And Adam, it's time to embrace now your, mor- your mortality. Death is coming. Disobedience and death are tied together. But verse 21 of chapter 3 is interesting. God immediately sets to work. After driving them from the garden, he sets to work helping them adapt to living in a fallen world. And the first thing that he does is interesting. They had made their garments out of scratchy old fig leaves, but he gives them some new garments. God's in the clothing business, and he makes them garments of skin, presumably out of animal skins. Something else had to die because of sin, but God solved their problems, a very real one, a life of exposure by clothing them. There's one last thing I want to share with you today as we begin this series on chaos and clarity and how God brings clarity into our chaos. Chapter 4 opens with these words about life outside of the garden. Adam made love to his wife Eve. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. His face was downcast. But God was not distant and far off. He was near. And he speaks to Cain. He offers direction. He offers counsel. He offers instruction. He shares true wisdom with Cain. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right... Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must rule over it. Don't miss this. Before the horrible things that happen with Cain and Abel occur, God is trying to keep Cain on the right path, and he's trying to keep me and you on the path too. He doesn't want us to go down the wrong path and face those consequences. He wants good things for you. And good things for me. But you know what happens. Cain rejects God's good counsel. And he slays and he kills his brother Abel. I hope no one here has ever, or will ever, err in the same way that Cain did. But I know we err in many other ways. By failing to hear God's counsel 
and to heed it. At the end of his book, A Gentle Thunder, Max Licato shares a, a story called Once There Was a Man, and I'd like you to hear it this morning. Once there was a man who dared God to speak. Burn the bush, God, like you did for Moses, and I will follow you. Collapse the walls like you did for Joshua, God, and I will fight for you. Still the waves like you did on Galilee, God, and I will listen to you. So the man sat by a bush. He sat near a wall. He sat close to the sea, and he waited for God to speak. And God heard the man. So God answered. He sent fire, but not for a bush, but for a church. He brought down a wall, but not of brick, a wall of sin. He stilled the storm, not of the sea, but of a soul. And then God waited for that man to respond. And God waited. And God waited. And God waited. But because the man was looking at bushes, not hearts, bricks, not lives, seas, not souls, he decided that God had done nothing. So finally the man looked to God and he asked, God, have you lost your power? And immediately God spoke back to the man and said, have you lost your hearing? Do you not hear what I've done? Cain erred by not listening to God. Today we live in a world where there are so many things for us to listen to. There's so much bad advice out there, so many ways we can go off the path, but Jesus said, my sheep will know my, my voice. We want to be people who are listening to the right voice, the voice of God. It's the only voice that will ultimately bring clarity to our chaos. Amen. I like how Genesis chapter 4 ends. There were a few people who got it. And Genesis chapter 4 verse 26 ends with these words. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Not everybody. Creation is going to spiral fast. We'll look at that next week. But there were always a few who got it. Jesus once said, many are called, but few are chosen. I pray that you and I will be among the few who call upon the name of the Lord, who heed his counsel, and let him bring order into the chaos of our life. If you're here today and you've never yet heeded his call, you've never yet given your life to Jesus, I encourage you to do that as we stand together and as we sing our hymn of invitation. <laughs>